I'm SP from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show about the general Marvel comic universe, part of the Guinea Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other hilarious and fun geeky shows at guineageeknetwork.com. Welcome to episode 225 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we discuss listener interactions. In this week's Better Podcasting, download SP fails to back up his data. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we run down some great listener interactions on the show. Lauren, start the show now. SP has a How I Save My Podcast story to tell us about after we talk about our live chats. Welcome to Better Podcasting. With a combined history of over a thousand episodes and starting as early as 2008, we are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Here are the hosts for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to an all new episode of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen John Drew and I am pleased to say that SP is here this week. It is great to be back again on Better Podcasting. I look forward to this all week and it is a packed show this week a lot of me stuff which that's how better podcasting should be but before we get to the me stuff steven how are you doing i'm doing pretty good pretty good uh, i got my podcast week in full motion it's a regular better podcasting week which is always a fun thing for us to talk about some podcasting things also uh i weirdly on facebook started to get ads today for podcast master classes after I purged my Facebook of all sorts of podcast groups, pretty much every podcast group, Facebook page, bunch of random friends that weren't really friends, but just were on. Anyways, did a bunch of purging and then the master class comes up as an advertisement. It's bizarre. Facebook algorithms. <laughs> it must know that you need more training for podcasting. You of all people need to be trained for podcasts. It's true. It's true. But you can use affiliate code. No, I'm just joking. All right. So let's <laughs> talk about the Better Podcasting live chats. I just mentioned it a second ago. This is a great week because it's our usual Better Podcasting week. And as we've mentioned before, on the off weeks, they're still fun. They're still awesome. But we do just a live Q&A chat on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern on the, the weeks that we're not recording this show because this show is bi-weekly. Long story short, Better Podcasting live chats are now on betterpodcasting.com. So you could check out the back catalog. It's also on Apple Podcasts, of course, and it will slowly find its way into other things. So you should uh, check that out if you want. It's unedited. It's just the raw, the real, what you would see if you showed up to our live. So don't expect editing. Expect to hear me make all sorts of mistakes. Expect to hear SP interrupt me because he tells me how wrong I am. Check that all out at betterpodcasting.com. If you want to hear just some off-the-cuff chatting about uh, about podcasting and also just some Q&A stuff that we are getting as we record, that's Better Podcasting Live Chat at betterpodcasting.com. I need to actually subscribe to our own show. This is the first show that I've done that's been out there that I have not subscribed to. So after we get off 
of recording this one, I'm going to subscribe to the Better Podcasting live chats. I, by the way, have to say that uh, I can't find how to, out how to get us into a nor- noteworthy. I thought that was really important. New and noteworthy on Apple Podcasts or iTunes? iTunes iTunes. iTunes still exists, by the way, because I use it on my computer on the Microsoft environment. It does not exist for podcasts anyway, over on the Mac OS environment. Anyway, I actually, this is a good week because I have a How I Save My Podcast story. And this is a segment that we've been doing for a while that we go over our mistakes or have our listeners chime in with their mistakes and then say how they actually saved it. So, Last week, I was starting an episode of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. We were trying to have a guest on the show, Chris from Play Comics. He goes by Waffles in our Discord. If you happen to see Waffles in the Discord, that is actually Chris from Play Comics. We were trying to have him on as an additional voice as we covered Iron Fist Season 2 on Netflix in preparation for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5 or Season 7 that comes out in a couple of weeks. Unfortunately, I didn't notice this beforehand. We do go live and stream via StreamYard to our YouTube channel at guineageek.com or youtube.com slash guineageek. And we were in there and I didn't really notice any bad delay or anything from Chris. As a second, we went live and then we threw it to him. He didn't respond for like five, six seconds. And in live podcasting, that seems like an eternity. So I'm like, okay, we need to stop right now and fix the issue as you do once you're having issues. Now, what I should have done is I should have noticed this before the show and we should have done this all before the show. Unfortunately, I didn't. So it was live. Oh, well. So we spent the next 30 minutes trying to troubleshoot and fix this, what turned out to be a seven second delay. He tried rebooting his computer. He tried restarting his browser. He tried closing some programs like Dropbox, which might be uploading or downloading, uh, and it didn't work. He was still getting the delay. So we decided right then and there live on the air. I said, look, I'll help you troubleshoot later on this week, but we're just going to go live without you. We cannot do this live show with a seven second delay for you. It's just not going to be working. So he graciously said, "Okay," and we went on with the show without them. I hated to do that to a guest. I specifically hated to do that with for Chris. Because he had spent a lot of time watching Iron Fist, the first four episodes of Iron Fist of season two, and he was ready to talk about it. Later on in the week, it was Wednesday last week, did some troubleshooting with him. I found out what his hardware specs were. He had an i3 processor, a 6100 series i3 processor, eight gigabytes of RAM, and a Intel HD 530 graphics card. Now, all of this is used to be okay for podcasting, maybe not video podcasting, but it's definitely okay to do what he does. But he was jumping up into a video live stream podcast, found out that that wasn't good enough. So we'll talk about the technical specifications that I would recommend going forward. In order to get there, we did a ping test. That was fine. Actually, his ping connection was way better than mine. And if you don't know how to do a ping test, Google it, P-I-N-G, and then you normally ping Google, which is usually the strongest connection on the planet. It's 8.8.8.8. And like I said, you can go into the command prompt on your Microsoft machine and you can do the ping test and you can find that out. 
we did a speed test and it was amazing. He had 125 MBPS up, not just down, up. Amazing. So I knew it wasn't his connection and I knew it wasn't his speed. We went into his task manager. He was having 71% of the RAM used. Now we closed down some of the unnecessary tasks. It brought it down to 55%. So we thought maybe that'd be good enough. So we did a connection test. We actually booted up the program. I was going to do Discord, Skype, and I was going to use StreamYard. So we brought up a StreamYard. We went uh, to a test private uh, connection with YouTube. And his CPU was at 100%. Now, for short stints, 100% CPU usage could be usable, but we were going to go for like an hour, hour and a half. An hour, hour and a half at 100% CPU usage on an older processor is probably not a great idea. As a matter of fact, I think both Steven and I have recently burnt up processors doing something similar in the last few years. So we, in order to get the CPU usage down, we lowered his camera resolution in the settings in StreamYard from 720 to 360, and that helped. It brought his CPU usage down to 85%. On a whim, I lowered my camera resolution down on my end from 720 to 360, and it was another 12% reduction. Now, we're both at 360, so obviously StreamYard, the way it works is that the usage is dependent on all users in the chat. So you start adding other users like we would on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that would keep on going up and up and up, even if you had 360 versus the full 720. And for my part, running at 720, I was at 27% of my RAM because I run 32 gigabytes of RAM and only 15% of my CPU usage. I run an i7. There was funky framing, and I don't know why, when I downgraded from 720 to 360. So I had to increase to 480 if it was going to be live. I don't know what the funky framing was, but it was like offset, and it was only half of me. It was the lower half that was actually getting broadcast. So that wasn't going to work. But when I went up to 480, it was fine. Unfortunately, that drove Chris's CPU to 90%. Still not good enough, I don't think. So we decided to have Chris on later once he gets his and steven's actually off center right now if you're watching at youtube.com slash get a geek uh chris will be moving soon and when he moves then he has plans to buy newer hardware so he said chris once you get that all done we will gladly have you on to talk anything on legends of shield so once he gets a new cpu he'll be on so i went ahead and how I save my podcast mode to have Chris provide me some feedback on a future episode so all his time wouldn't be wasted. And basically, the lesson learned here is that GPU, memory, and CPU m matters when you're talking about video streaming and podcasting. It really does. You need to have some level up. I would say 16 gigabytes of RAM is probably the minimum that you want. I think you're talking in a later generation i7 or i5 processor, the AMD equivalents. And I would say that you'd probably need a good connection. Now, I'm getting by with 15 up, but if you can get more than that, then that's probably where you should be, especially if you're doing 720 to 1080 with multiple people. 
So that's how I saved my podcast. We actually recorded. Unfortunately, it was without Chris, but I did help Chris later determine exactly what the issue was with his setup. I will take it another step as well and say that if you're doing any sort of software audio, you should be aware of how much uh, resources your computer is using. Like if you are recording into an online service or you are recording on your computer locally because you can end up having problems where your sound does fall out of sync because you are losing that information and it happens. I, I've firsthand seen it. I've heard other people see it. If you are taxing your computer too much, it just can't keep up. And next thing you know, you got dropouts in your audio and you're trying to merge tracks and line them up with, you know, if you're double ending and things like that, and it's not fun. So I think everybody should be a little bit aware of their uh, resources, even if you're just doing an audio podcast. So SP, thanks for walking us through that. I think that that is something that is worth everybody's time to hear and think about. And also, you know, that SP likes to shun his guests. That's, that's what I hear right there. It's not true. You want to be, not if, true. You, yeah. <laughs> if you want to be on Legends of Shield and talk what we're talking about, get a hold of me and we will go through the process of trying to have you on. Awesome. And uh, by the way, Chris is awesome. He he is a great person. And if you're not in our Discord server, go over and and say hi to Waffles on our Discord at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. One of the fundamental tenets of the way podcasting works is that one or a few people speak into a microphone, and that is then distributed to dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of listeners. Or in Stephen's case, it's just his mom listening. That's fair. I can't argue. Okay. After you've been publishing the same podcast for a while, those listeners, also known as your audience, start to feel like they know you. You are talking to them about a topic or yourself for a while while those listeners listen. It's just how the way podcasting works. Meanwhile, you're at a disadvantage. You could potentially not even know your listener's name. They've been listening to you for hundreds of hours. You might not know anything about them. This turns into an unequal relationship between you and the listener. You, as the podcaster, become at a disadvantage in the relationship. If you have the average number of listeners on your show, we talked about it before on Better Podcasting, it's somewhere around 150, 175, 200 listeners per episode. You don't have the time to get to know 150, 200 people the same way that they've come to know you by listening to you for those hundreds of hours. Again, unless it's Steven, then it's just his mom listening. His brother doesn't even listen to it. Again, I can't argue. <laughs> But as a podcaster, especially as a hobby podcaster, you want to give back to your listeners. And as you receive feedback, you should start a true address and acknowledge those interactions as well as be a central point for your podcast community, which you're trying to grow. It's mutually beneficial. Today, we're going to address those listener interactions, how to optimize them given your time constraints as a hobby podcaster, how to avoid alienating your listeners and how to enhance your hobby podcast community by interacting with your audience. Let's go ahead and kick it off here with some things we want to relate before we get into some of the tools that you can use as a hobby podcaster. 
And the first one is if you've watched a popular YouTube channel or listened to a popular podcast, pay attention to how they interact with their audience. Some YouTube channels have pretty robust, quote, memberships or Patreons. These are basically crowdfunded donations designed for creators. They have different funding levels assigned and different perks for each level. A lot of times, these perks come with the added benefit of some form of enhanced interaction. Special members-only or tier-only live streams, maybe. Special email addresses for guaranteed responses. Questions directly to these select groups or direction in content from these groups. Behind-the-scenes updates. And sometimes it's even a special chat program for those who donate only. Again, my mom has a special donation window. These are ways that these popular channels or popular podcasts are interacting with a specific set of their audience. Of course, this is on a monetary level is the criteria here for these. On YouTube, you might see what's called a super chat. Super chats include the ability to directly donate to the creator through YouTube and in larger live streams with many hundreds of people watching and trying to chime in, this sometimes is the only way to actually get that creator's attention because there's a flood of comments in the Super Chats. There's a special section for the Super Chatters. Even members or Patreons don't get sometimes mentioned depending on the size of this live audience. Again, you could be dealing with hundreds or thousands of people attending a live event. So with the Super Chat, this is a way that those people who are donating through the Super Chat have a way to interact with the uh, creators. And it's a way for those creators to essentially give back through an interaction for that support, again, through a monetary means. That was YouTube channels in podcasting. You can see much of the same paid for interaction with larger shows. Podcasts can be supported through Patreon, PayPal, direct donation, website memberships, and Twitch subscriptions, and whatever else is out there right now. Some of these also have tiers or levels, just like in the YouTube channel membership, in which you can prioritize interaction with audiences. These levels, tiers, or paywall access, contact methods, all serve various purposes. First of all, it's a way of creators of larger shows to make money. It's a way for them to monetize. We don't generally talk about that on this show. It is also a way to limit the amount of direct interactions a creator needs to maintain. You can't talk to every single fan out there on a continual basis with rapid response times. It also allows creators of larger shows to get to know a few super fans better. These I've termed as pay to parlay. So these pay to parlay interactions are not just limited to podcasters. You see it all the time in music with backstage passes for concerts. We talked about, we joked about master classes before, but master class sessions are a way to get one on one interaction with somebody that's very popular. Multi level marketing access to higher level people in the company, which I don't subscribe to, but I know it's a way, it's a thing that's done. Advanced entry to events, access to special badges, to line jump, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pay to parlay and you get different bonuses out of it. Which is different than pay for parsley, by the way. If you like parsley, I do, but not everybody does. Okay. All this knowledge is great for larger shows on YouTube and podcasting, but for most hobby podcasters, you will probably 
want to take a different tack with your listener. First, a pay-to-parlay method of interacting with your listeners can be off-putting. Heck, no matter how big your show is, it is a gatekeeping process for listeners to receive communication from you, and that becomes annoying because you feel like you cannot have the same sort of interaction with the creator. Someone once shared with us that they received hate mail for behind-the-wall content when they were still offering the main podcast for free. We won't give too many details, but the summary is they were providing an extended version of their podcast by the paywall. This was after having a long-established format for their regular podcast. The format for that show had not changed, but just because they added a paywall... There was essentially no net difference to the product being offered, but there was an additional product being offered, and yet somebody still didn't like this. So you can rub people the wrong way through that. So on YouTube, super chat interactions limited to thank yous to donations can seem like they're only putting on the live stream to make money. And to be honest, that's why super chats exist to help the creator fund whatever they're doing. It can sometimes make it seem like the other interactions don't matter, especially if you have a larger following of super chatters. Some of these YouTube sailing channels that I follow, they actually have hundreds of people showing up in their live streams, their super chats. And unless you actually donate and that pops up as a colored comment, the people that are giving the super chat just don't bother to interact because, well, it's it's moving too fast. They can't. Plus, it's worth considering that a hobby podcast has the average amount of listeners. I said it before, 150 to 200 per episode. There is no need to prioritize specific types of interactions in the same manner for an average show as a show with thousands or hundreds of thousands of listeners. If you do, those viewers and listeners that do show up for live streams or in your paywall chat room may get tired and annoyed at you for not responding to them unless they send money your way and they could be upset about that. So instead of sticking around and helping to build your audience, this sort of limitation can lead to alienation of the listeners and then they stop to consume your show because they are not feeling a part of your community. I will caveat all this. No podcast is for everyone. However, if they are interested in your show enough to contact you, it's important to make the listener feel heard themselves so they want to continue to interact with you and continue to listen to your show. They want to feel heard, not part of a herd. That's a good one. Also, if you are a hobby podcaster with an objective to grow a community, your interaction with the community is imperative to maintain your audience and their communication with you. There's several ways that you communicate with a potential audience. First of all is promotion. We've talked about promoting your podcast through social media accounts, maybe getting some ads if you can uh, afford it to some podcast apps. You know, we've seen various results for that. But more importantly, there is communication with the community itself. If you have an internal chat room, for our show, it's basically our Discord server. If you might actually have a form, and that could be your internal chat room, uh, you can have Slack uh, or an app that's meant to limit the amount of people that's in it just because they have to apply to get into it. It's not available on a social media app where everybody can have access to it, etc. And there's another form of feedback through basic podcast feedback. In all 
of these, a combination of these, basically, is your communication with your audience. So that's not to say we can't learn from the intents of some of these ideas. They're essentially all the same root idea. They're trying to offer an extended benefit to somebody for supporting their show. With a hobby podcast, how are the people supporting your show by listening and interacting with you? And you want to reward them by interacting with them as much as you can, given your time constraints that you have as a hobby podcaster. And there are different ways to interact with listeners in a manner that gives back to them for that support. You could have an in-person party if that's possible for you. Okay, there's a lot of different circumstances with this. And especially right now, we're recording this in May 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. We know, okay, this is this is one of those ideas to keep in your back pocket for if that ever is possible. But it is something you could do. We've seen this with hobby podcasts before where they have been able to have some form of in-person get together or party sort of thing. But that's not always possible and maybe not within the comfort zone of everybody. So perhaps you could find a middle ground and you could host an in-person convention panel if you're attending. But if that doesn't even work for you, perhaps you find yet another middle ground. And if you're going to be attending a public event, you could encourage your listeners to meet at a certain place and time related to that event because maybe they're also going to that just so you can get to know them as well. Could be something like a coffee shop before an event or, hey, everybody, I'm going to go and check out this seminar on watching paint dry for the paint drying podcast. I'd love it if you could all come with me. That sort of thing. Again, May 2020 back pocket. We understand that. One of the things that I think is undervalued sometimes with podcasting is doing those social media polls. Social media polls can be a real effective freeway to interact with that audience and sort of give back. Social media polls have the ability to be very effective, especially if you're creating them in a way that helps engage the audience and demonstrates to them at the same time that you are listening to them. They're feeling heard. Sometimes it could just be a matter of replying to someone who responds to one of those polls, or maybe it's another step. You actually create a poll based off of a listener interaction. That shows that listener you're interacting and that opens up that interaction to the rest of your podcast community. It really can be a good way to take that core podcast material, create a poll that you're sampling a bunch of different feedback, and then if you can, try to slip the results of that poll into your podcast. It shows everybody that you're paying attention to people who are responding to that poll. Another way to offer an internet interactive meeting, again, it's May 2020, so maybe you want to do this instead, or this is applicable anytime as well. Zoom is banting about quite a bit these days. I know there's some security concerns with Zoom, but there's Zoom. There's also other programs like Google Meet, and you can use one of these programs, and a lot of times they're free, at least with certain limitations. And you can open up the floor to interact with your listeners as you use these programs. And these interactions can go two different ways. They could be something that you're offering in a structured manner, for example, a demonstration. You know, maybe you have something behind the scenes that you want to show your listeners. So those that way, or it could be just more of a virtual coffee chat. And I think we've all seen a lot of that virtual chats 
these days. A lot of the sailing YouTube channels that I follow, for instance, they're running out of content. Why? Because they can't sail anywhere. All of the ports that they are in are closed. Like you can't go to a new port and actually check in. So if you leave the port that you're at and you don't have an open port on the other end, you can't leave. And that's a lot of what's going on right now. So in order to supplement their content and still get videos out there, they have these live chats. So there are different reasons to have them. And there are a lot of them going on right now. Similarly, but importantly different, another free and effective way that you can interact with listeners is by offering a special live stream. Hosting a group of people in a conference call can be intimidating for some. It really opens it up to a two-way chat. And more importantly, it's a bunch of people with control on their end. Although we do stream our episodes and our recordings live, and on the off weeks, we also have a question and answer stream, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. We recognize that most podcasts do not do this. So what you can do is offer a live stream on a certain date. This doesn't have to be a recording of your show. Instead, it could just be a general chat with your community. We encourage you to use a platform where you have engagement, like a chat room where people can actually chat back with you. This allows you to have two-way conversation, but at your own pace. And you don't have to call out every single comment in the chat room, but you can call out a variety. It's more important that you, and I love the analogy here, work the room, the chat room, meaning that you pick a variety of different comments to talk about from a variety of different people. It's really no different than a cocktail party that you would go to at work. Another effective way to interact with listeners in a meaningful manner is to take note of their suggestions and make an active effort to call out when you're using those suggestions from your listeners directly. For example, Say that somebody has given you an idea for an episode topic. It's in your best interest to reach out to them directly and let them know you're going to be using it. This not only provides a way to have a meaningful interaction, it also gives them a little glimpse of what is to come. For example, that same early access pass feeling we talked about before. But overall, there's a key aspect that we think is important with any of these interactions that you think you're going to take. You really should be doing it from a genuine place. Whatever the intent of that will vary. However, if you're not being genuine and you have an ulterior motive, it could show and could actually put you in a worse place than you were before. People might see you through this. And this can lead to a very disappointing interaction for your listener. If that listener feels that way and they're left feeling really disappointed, then they may be a detractor for your podcast and they may actually not uh, encourage people to listen to your show. They might even discourage people from listening to your show as opposed to the opposite, where if they're feeling great, they're feeling like they've got that early access pass. They may be a big advocate for your show and talk about it, especially in the topic idea. They could say, tell a friend, hey, they're going to talk about this in the future. It was my idea. So you really want to leave them with a warm interaction. In summary, we believe that as hobby podcasters, you consider that the traditional ways of interacting with listeners is different than with a business podcast. But while your resources may be limited in comparison, time and money, there is a similarity 
It's important that you take the time to make an active effort to engage with listeners in a manner that leaves them with a positive experience. At the end of the day, you should find ways that leave you feeling happy with the way that you're interacting with people and how often you are making an active effort to do so. Every person is different, and as your podcast grows, this will change. For example, when you first get started, you can probably respond to every message you get right away. As you grow, this isn't always going to be possible. You have to choose where and when to spend your time and how much time to spend. By utilizing some of the strategies that we've discussed, you can sometimes cover interacting with many people in one sitting, for example, the live broadcast idea. While some people may not take you up on these opportunities, you're providing at least they will be aware of them. And sometimes it is truly the thought that counts to keep your listeners engaged and continue listening to your show. This is the Better Podcasting Download. Mr. Pioneer, this has been an ongoing saga for you for a while. And unfortunately, we must now close this chapter in your life. Go ahead and fill everybody in who might not be familiar with this saga. If you happen to have followed us on social media, particularly on our Better Podcasting Facebook page, which Stephen was so kind to actually post the videos that I did. I ran into an issue with my equipment back in February. I had a three and a half inch hard disk drive that was two terabytes, wasn't podcast related, but it was personal related, personal and work related in my podcast computer. It failed on February 10th, 2020. I was running an external USB hard drive backup through a program called Syncback Free. I unfortunately, I had manually stopped that backup a few months prior and didn't restart it. So I was missing some updated files, some spreadsheets and other various files, pictures, some work stuff, PowerPoint files, that sort of thing. I had most of the files backed up, but not all of them, especially in the last few months. In the spirit of finding more about data recovery, specifically with this podcast in mind, I started to go down the data recovery path. If you watched the videos on the Facebook page, you knew that I tried to substitute hardware on board the hard disk drive, and I also took it to a data recovery place. So we're going to cover that right now. First, I bought a new two terabyte hard disk drive. I actually should have bought a four terabyte hard disk drive because the price was right at the time. And I restored the files that I could from the USB external hard drive. Also, my downloaded files actually I had a ton of the files that I needed. So I took those over and I had files in emails that I also was able to take over as well as some of the files that I exported on a USB stick to use on another computer. So I got maybe about 95% of the files that were on that drive. I got them back. So it's not like I lost everything, but like I said, in the spirit of doing a segment on the show, it's like, okay, well, how does this work? First, I tried a new PCB circuit board. Now, this is the controlling board to one of those three and a half inch hard disk drives. The issues with that is you have to find a PCB with the exact same serial number, which is a pain in the butt, by the way. I actually had to source one out of Canada and it came from very close to where Steven is right now. I actually had to send my PCB. So I had to remove it from the hard drive. I had to mail it to them. And they took this little chip off, this little EEPROM, it's called, and they took it off mine and they put it on the other PCB. The reason that you have to do that is that 
EEPROM, E-E-P-R-O-M, that's the chip name, has all the information on it to actually read the information on the drive. It actually has the map of the drive on it and how much data is on it, how the drive is formatted and that sort of thing. So that is the easiest way to do all this. The drive spun up, but it just failed to actually boot up. So there was something wrong with the drive. Knowing this after trying to do a home fix, and there's no way that I'm going to have a clean room to actually open the drive up and do manual surgery on it. I took the hard drive to a data recovery company. I used WeRecoverData.com. There's a lot out there. I'm not actually advocating for one company or another. I did have a positive experience with WeRecoverData. Unfortunately, these are expensive. So what happens is they take it into a clean room, they disassemble the drive, and then they rebuild the drive from the ground up kind of like you would in a car engine. When you take the engine out, you actually put all the parts on the floor and then you start putting new parts back in. But the engine block itself is the same and then it should go back in the car and it should work just fine. This takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of special effort and special tools and special parts. And I understand that just the manual label, manual labor alone is a lot. The quote that I received back was around 2,600 US dollars. And this was back in February of this year. That's, it was too, and this is pre-pandemic. It was too much. So I asked for a discount and they did work with me on that. They did provide me with the discount, but it was only a partial discount. It wasn't the whole thing. So I decided not to go ahead with it, especially with the pandemic going on and everything. I'm like, no, I can't. If this was a different time, I might've decided to go on with it. If I needed a lot of the data or all the data on it, I would. But that's one of the lessons learned that we're going to get back at the end of the segment of how expensive this whole thing is. I did, in this whole process, expand my backup routine. Not only am I using the free, the the sync back, but I'm also using Backblaze. So I started a Backblaze subscription, which is backing up my entire computer, which is 17 terabytes currently. You podcast for a while, and if you're a data hoarder like me, and especially if you video podcasts, those file sizes are going to go up and up and up and up. Heck, every episode that I export of Legends of Shield is somewhere around eight to twelve gigabytes. And if you got a hundred of those episodes, I mean, it just starts to add up, right? And all the files behind it. It took a month, I believe, a little over a month, maybe a month and a half for all that data to sync up in the background. And I had to stop it when we were recording Gonna Geek, Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. or this show, Better Podcasting, because I didn't have enough bandwidth for it to work. So it just took a long time. So FYI, if you got a big amount of data and you're trying to have it backed up tomorrow, it's not going to work if you have a slow connection. So in summary, hard drives do fail. They doesn't matter what kind of hard drive it is. Doesn't matter if it's three and a half, two and a half. Doesn't matter if it's a solid state drive, either the two and a half or the little sticks. They fail and it is expensive to recover the data. And I didn't talk about it before, but it's not guaranteed that you're going to get the data back. The disk itself could be damaged and the data could be corrupted and there'd be no way to actually get it back with a reasonable amount of money. If you want to send it off to some data reconstruction company and have them work on it for a year, 
you might get something out of it, but it's just going to be a partials of files if that happens. Solid state drives or SSDs, they fail too. And guess what? When they fail, odds are you're not going to get any of that data back. Most devices nowadays that are on the market, if you buy a new one, have SSDs in them. So be, pay attention to that and make sure that you back up your data. We've always recommended on Better Podcasting, please correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, we recommend that you do a local backup, and that's like my external hard drive that I have that's USB, and we recommend that you do an external site backup for a lot of different reasons, one of which is like fire, theft, maybe you have a flood in your area, something like that. It's always great to have your data stored somewhere else that's geographically separated so that you're assured that the data will survive. And probably should check on those backups every month. Make sure that they're running. Make sure they've run in the past month, especially if you have a lot of data. Stephen, did I miss anything with that, with those recommendations? You nailed it. Just definitely get the backups. Uh, I'm glad to see you went to Backblaze. Backblaze was recommended to me a couple of years ago, and I've had pretty good experiences overall. I do have a bit of an issue with how you can't properly pause their backup utility, which isn't a problem for someone like me who has a uh, 300 megabit per second upload, which actually equates to 330. But that's the, the not the norm. People like yourself that have a lesser upload, if you're doing live streaming and it's trying to sync the information, like video and things like that, as you're going, it bogs down your connection. So I got a bit of an issue there. And it's just a silly thing that they haven't added in the couple of years that I've had them. But Overall, I've had a pretty good experience with them as well. And uh, I was surprised actually at how fast you got that hooked up with your 50 or uh, uploaded with your 15 megabit per second connection. I thought it was going to be a lot longer. I did have the computer running constantly for a month and a half. I believe I shut it down for maybe a day during that whole thing where I shut it down. I just forgot to start it back up and I didn't go. It was working out in the yard or something like that. And I didn't start it up. And then when I got back to it, I'm like, oh, Dang it, it was down for a day. So yeah, uh, 17 terabytes took, I believe it was six weeks. I'll, I'll have to go back and look, but I believe it was six weeks to upload. The computer was running constantly in order to do that. And the way they do that, the way it uploads, is if you have one of those big files that I was talking about, those like 10 gigabyte video files, it actually breaks it up and uploads that in pieces. So it's just it takes a while for it to upload. And if you need to get it back from them, you can have them send you an actual drive. It's going to cost you money. You can download a zip file, and it's just going to take a while to download it because it's a lot of data coming down. A lot of the video gamers out there will commiserate. Say you buy a new video game that's like 30 gigabytes. How long does that take to download? Now imagine that compounded to a terabyte or like me, 17 terabytes. It's going to take a while to download all that data. So. You have to consider these things to protect your data and also consider your contingency on data recovery. That is why I recommend a local backup. This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Podback. We got a follow-up to feedback that we got last episode in episode 224. We talked a little bit about Steph Uccio and her quest for a gaming chair and how she had bought one. And here's the bad news. It didn't work out. SB, go ahead and read out her feedback. 
Steph said, listen to the recent episode last night and heard the curiosity regarding the gaming chair I bought. Here it is. We tried it out for a couple of weeks, but it wasn't any more comfortable than a bad office chair. It felt plush to touch, but wasn't really forgiving when we were sitting in it. Both me with back issues and my husband with no back issues tried it and had eh experiences. So we returned it for a full refund. Gotta love Amazon for that aspect, I must say. Not sure why there are so many good reviews for it. Now we have borrowed chairs from where my husband did his course because they canceled all their in-person classes for the foreseeable future. So we are good for now. Yep, Steph, it's important to have a good chair as you're going to be sitting in it for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, this is the concern that I was mentioning last time is that like anything, when there is a category that is known to be good, then it becomes the buzz phrase. And then next thing you know, people are making ones that shouldn't be in that category, but they kind of look like that category. And in this case, it's the gaming chair. There's obviously gaming chairs, the buzz phrase or the buzzword. So people are making things that look like gaming chairs, but aren't really what a gaming chair was meant to be, which was a high quality chair that gamers could sit in for hours as they played their video games and ate their copious amounts of food. And and I, I'm not saying that, you know, negatively, I'm just saying when you're gaming, you're literally there generally for three meals a day because of the fact that you are gaming all day. <laughs> right. So there was a lot of other conversation that went back and forth. And basically the advice that everybody can give is this. Try a bunch of chairs out. If you can't go to an office supply store and make sure that the chair that you are going to be sitting in is at least initially comfortable for you. And then the only way to really test it out is to bring it home and sit in it for a while. If you can have a deal like Steph had with Amazon and be able to return it after a few days because it isn't as promised, then that's great. But sometimes you just got to check, try them out. I believe this is my third or fourth podcast chair. I remember the big rigmarole we went through the last time that I had it. And I am going to be looking in the next year or so to replace this with another chair just because it's reached end of life. And I am going to be looking at some of the higher end gaming chairs just because I want to try them out personally, whether they are good for me or not. So review to be coming on better podcasting. And unfortunately, sometimes what you see in the store is not the way it works out. That was what happened with uh, the chair that I had before the one I'm using right now. I actually bought a different replacement. I went down to the store I tried it. It was, I think, a Christmas gift to myself, essentially. It was one I picked out, right? And I was like, okay, I'll wait and I'll, I'll open it up at Christmas and things like that. So I got it. It was months later. I set it up and it was different. The back was not actually supporting my back. It was, for, it was you know, there was quite a bit of a void. And I'm like, this is not what it was. And so then I went down and I explained and they're like, well, that seems odd. Let's go have a look. And And they had a look and they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is very different. So the one they had on the floor and they go, but you know what? We actually just assembled another one for another customer and had a look at that. And it was like the one that I had assembled myself. So obviously different batches or whatever, right? So that can sometimes happen. So I just switched models and upgraded even further. So <laughs> it's been three months. Now I had more funds to put towards it. <laughs> In our Discord server, we also had some feedback from Josh Liston. He said, after several interviews using the Rodecaster Pro, both in-person, pre-COVID, and remote, post-COVID, 
I'm going back to my Mix Pre 6. The Roadcaster is easy and it looks cool, but the Mix Pre is so much cleaner sound-wise and the metering on the MP6 is so much more accurate. Lesson learned, no matter how cool something is, maybe stick with what's reliable and what's already working. You know me, I've had some issues with the preamps with the Roadcaster for a while. Um, I still believe that the firmware changes that they've made ha has made it more tolerable and more average. And I think an average hobby podcaster, probably for most, most average po hobby podcasters could get away with that sound. But when you are being an audiophile, the concern is still there. Um, I still have some other questions and concerns about it. I'm more apt to recommend it now than I was when it first came out. But there was a lot of positive buzz when this first came out. And I didn't, as someone who tried it, I didn't agree with that buzz all the time. And I think we're finally tr starting to see this now that there's been an extended period of people trying, trying it for a while, comparing it to old hardware. And I'm sorry to see that you bought that, Josh, and had to go through this. Yeah, if you're somebody that likes to try out gear, it's it's a good gamble, I would think, because of the buzz around it and everything. But sometimes you try it yourself and you find out that what you want out of it is different than what everybody else is saying. So I'm looking for the next generation of gear that's coming out, as I said before, a couple of weeks ago on the show and trying to replace my equipment with the next generation of gear. I'm not really comfortable with the current generation of gear, which brings us to our next review that we had or response that we had in our Discord server from Ingenious1. He said, anyone see this? And he linked a Kickstarter campaign, and it was for a mon... I, I want to say it's Monocaster. It's M-A-O-N-O -O caster. Monocaster. Man, okay, so it's a portable all-in-one podcast studio, and it has a Kickstarter. It goes for $120. The goal was surpassed, so it's going to be out there. It's got two XLR connectors. It's got a mini mixer and some sound pads on it, and it looks to me suspiciously like more of a, a little bit more upgraded version of the Go XLR that was out a couple years ago, but that was more for gamer streamers. This, I think is more for podcasters. We'll see if it works. So keep in mind, this is a Kickstarter. So there's always risks involved with any crowdfunding. Um, we've seen crowdfunding not materialize both within the realm of audio gear and elsewise. We've seen crowdfunding work out and work out well. We've seen crowdfunding work out and not be good. We, you know, th this is just in general speak of crowdfunding. So you really don't know uh, reading their Kickstarter, you'd said it's 120. I believe one of the pledges is available to get one for 120. However, the the retail price that's being listed is going to be 180, apparently. So okay. when it comes out, we'll see. Um, there's definitely going to be a lot more of these coming out as the years go on, I think. Yeah, and like I said, I'm looking forward to the gear that comes out and gear that works great. We also got a tweet over on Twitter from Skate at Home. That's actually the, the Twitter name, Skate at Home. The Twitter account is at Skatemaker, or S-K-A-T-M-A-K-R. 
Scat at home said, I'm working on the Better Pod backlog. Just finished episode number 155 and was wondering if you still stream your editing sessions on Twitch. I said, thank you very much. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. I also directed him to the YouTube channel, which I had uploaded most of those editing sessions to. And he was very thankful. He said, will do. Thanks for the link and your wonderful podcast. And this one's a fun conversation. Randy Walker said, Tascam really needs to get their act together. They're still promoting discontinued products, mini studio on their website, and then link to the uh, Tascam podcasting section. And actually, Jason Bryant came in and he said, I had one and could never get it to work. I normally keep the gear I don't use, but I sent that thing back immediately. I was tempted when this first came out, but I had so many people, include Jason, that were having so many issues with it. I'm like, nope, I'm just going to skip this and, and go on to the next thing. And Tascam didn't have that good of a name with me at the time. So maybe the brand had something to deal with it. But I'm looking forward to what Tascam has in store for the future because they've been upgrading their gear as things have gone along. So thanks for checking out this show. If you missed that at the beginning, we do have the Better Podcasting live chat episodes now available on betterpodcasting.com. That is the unedited podcast live chat thing that SP and I stream out on the Tuesdays that we're not recording. Yeah, I said it was a live chat thing because... We, we are recording, but we're not editing. We're not editing. I'm lazy. That's what it ultimately comes down to. And you can check that out at betterpodcasting.com. There's a section for the main show. There's a section for the Better Podcasting live chat episodes. So please do check that out. And why don't you join us for one of those and ask us some questions? You could ask us podcast-related questions, preferably, or you could just ask things like, how you guys are doing without haircuts in the quarantine life. You'd ask us all about that. Yeah, let's talk about that next week. That's a good topic. <laughs> so if you haven't followed us on social media, we'd also love to have you do that. You can find us at facebook.com slash betterpodcasting. Find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash betterpod or come to our Discord server at betterpodcasting.com. So on that note, for episode 225, of Better Podcasting. I'm Stephen John Drew saying, yes, I finally uploaded those Better Podcasting live chat episodes. And I'm SP saying, I look forward to seeing everybody next week and in two weeks for episode 226. See ya. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.